Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. So, um, we're going to start a, a three or four or five class um, uh, study of the Anapanasati Sutta. Um, this is another one of those suttas that have been um, misinterpreted and misapplied um, because of wanting to make the Dhamma something other than what the Buddha taught. Much like uh, dependent origination and how that's been corrupted by simply taking those words and, and applying different words, such as interbeing or interconnectedness, um, whatever those interwords are, and they have nothing to do with dependent. Um, but again, that's necessary if you want to create something other than what the Buddha taught, you have to corrupt his basic teachings. And so Anapanasati Sutta, Anapana, uh, simply means respiration. Sati is mindfulness, so it's mindfulness of the breath. But out of that one word, Anapanasati, there, and you, you've probably come across teachings that make your whole practice about this sutta and claiming that this sutta, the, the entire sutta, is instructions for you what to do during meditation. And as you're about to hear, this sutta has nothing to do with that. It has to do with, with using monks who have developed the Dhamma through breath meditation, jhana meditation, and the entire Eightfold Path, the results of that behavior, or, or of their practice, what it looks like. So this sutta, again, as you're about to hear, is an example of a well-focused Dhamma practice. And you'll see that as the, as the Buddha continues in this teaching, he's um, giving clear examples of the results of Dhamma practice, not instructions for Dhamma practice. So let me just start now. That'll become much more clear as I go along. And again, this is a rather long sutta. We're going to do it in three or four classes. But it's also a sutta that you can always refer back to. If you feel a little bit out of sorts with your Dhamma practice, this is the sutta or one of the suttas to refer to because it is just an example of a well-focused, well-informed Dhamma practice. The Anapanasati Sutta. I have heard that on one occasion the Buddha was staying at Savati in the Eastern Monastery. Just briefly, whenever you hear I have heard, usually it's thus have I heard. Those are Ananda's words. And again, I won't get too deep into it, but at the first Buddhist council, Ananda and one other monk were responsible for recounting what the Buddha had taught. And Ananda had a word-perfect memory. He was able to, to recount this. And then as, the, as Ananda was saying this and that, I have heard this and this is what occurred, the other monks in attendance at that first council would agree or disagree. And that is how they preserved the original teachings. Uh, it was, it, well, I don't want to get too, lose, lose track in that, but it's remarkable in the story how these suttas are still uh, present and authentic today. So this was during the Upasata day of the full moon. Many of the elder disciples were with him. Uh, Venerable Saraputta, Venerable Magalana, uh, Kasapa, I'm just going to go through it quickly, Kakai, Kakayana, uh, Mahakatita, we're, we're going to have some suttas on him in a, in a short while, 
and a, and a bunch of others. During this time, the elder monks were teaching the Dhamma. So once the Buddha um, identified monks as ready to teach, once, much like we're doing here, they they began teaching, and they had they had little groups up to maybe larger groups uh, that they were responsible for, and so it became a very um, uh, intimate encounter. Uh, that you had with your teacher. And again, much like we're doing here. Again, that's why I'm teaching teachers. That's why you're becoming teachers. So you'll develop that, that intimacy with the Dhamma that you can share to someone else. They were each teaching novice monks with groups ranging in size from 10 to as large as 40. The new monks were learning quickly and correctly, just like here. The Buddha had arrived and was seated in the open air surrounded by the community of monks. Surveying the silent community, this is important, he addressed them. Monks, I am pleased with what has taken place here and the dedication to develop the Dhamma and the realization of the Bana, or awakening. I will remain here at Savati for another month through the fourth month of the rains. And that was unusual for the Buddha and other people. Usually the, the, the rains retreat lasted about three months. That's as long as the rains lasted, the, you know, the... Uh, the seasonal monsoons in northern India. And so there's nothing significant even about that three months. I mean, we, we've taken that and created um, external frameworks for retreats saying they should be three months because the Buddha used to do that every three months. The only reason he did that is because it was impractical to walk around northern India when it was simply a muddy mess. So this is unusual. Usually after three months, uh, the Buddha and the rest of the monks would be on their way teaching the Dhamma. The monks in the surrounding countryside heard this and left, left for Savati to join the Buddha and the Sangha. A short time later, the Buddha addressed the large but quiet community. That's important. Why is that important? Because he recognized that the monks and the novice monks have understood what noble silence is, informed by right speech. They're being quiet. Monks, the Buddha says, monks, this community of monks is free from idle chatter and is established on pure heartwood. Again, this is, a, this is an instruction, a, a profound instruction on the Dhamma. You'll recognize in yourself when you are free of idle chatter that you have, yes, you have awakened. It's an example of a mind that's still distracted, even if it's just a little bit. And it's okay if, you're, if you find yourself engaged in idle chatter. Simply recognize it and abandon it. But it's also a reminder that, yes, there's still some work to do. <clears throat> and becoming free of idle chatter is established in the pure heartwood. Pure heartwood, it, it, whenever you hear the word heartwood in the Dhamma, it's always referring to the Eightfold Path. The Buddha continues, This community is worthy of gifts and worthy of hospitality. This community is worthy of offerings and worthy of respect. This community will bring much good for the world. Remember, he's speaking now to these novice monks. Due to their establishment in the heartwood of the Dhamma, when a small gift is given to the community, it becomes great, and a great gift even greater. And so the Buddha is not talking about an accumulation of money or things. He's talking about the ability now to spread the Dhamma. That gift keeps, just keeps building and building. This community of monks is rare to see in the world. That was a line that, that really knocked me between the eyes because I realized that even during the Buddha's time, People that were actually maintaining an authentic Dhamma, the way he taught, were rare in the world. 
even while the Buddha was alive, even while he was teaching, people wanted to make something other than what the Buddha was teaching. And so this is another good sutta. Um, if you're distracted by other practices or wondering if they really fit into the Dhamma, you can use this sutta to weigh that against as a benchmark. If it doesn't fit within this, it's likely not something that the Buddha taught. That doesn't mean that it's good, bad, or indifferent. It just means that it is different than what the Buddha taught. And be mindful of that. This community of monks is rare to see in the world. This community of monks is such that it would be worth traveling for leagues, even to retreats, putting that in, taking along provisions in order to learn from. In this community of monks, there are monks who are arahants, awakened human beings. They have fully developed the Eightfold Path and their mental effluence are ended, meaning the effluence or greed, aversion, and deluded thinking. These arahants have completed the task and have laid down the burden of continued eye-making. They have attained the true goal and abandoned, of course this is the true goal, and abandoned the fetter of becoming further ignorant. That is a true goal. Again, does anybody here now think that you can't achieve the ending of ignorance of Four Noble Truths? I don't think you do. Is, is there anybody here? It's entirely reachable, isn't it? Even if we're not quite there yet, tomorrow's another day. They are released through right understanding. That's how we gain our release, through right understanding of these Four Noble Truths. It's what we're studying. It's what we're developing. Again, the Buddha says, such is this community of monks. In this community of monks, there are monks who abandon the five lower fetters and are totally unbound from clinging to ignorant views. And I'll get to, I'll get to those, whatever the, these lists that I'm mentioning are, will be uh, clarified later on. Their minds are continually resting in equanimity. Such are the monks in this community of monks. And here, the five lower fetters are self-referential views, Grasping at rituals and practices, look at modern Buddhism. Uncertainty, meaning a lack of conviction in his Dhamma. And craving, craving for sensory stimulation. Or feeling like you're bored, you need some, some kind of excitement in your life. And ill will towards oneself and others. In this community of monks, there are monks who abandoning the first three fetters. And with a diminishing of passion, aversion, and deluding thinking. The diminishing of it, the lessening of it have established the heartwood, they are now they have now integrated the Eightfold Path, and will make an ending to stress. So again, if you find yourself developing, it's why I, I say in the Buddha always said, Episeko, if you find yourself practicing the Dhamma as intended and you're reaping the benefits, you know you will reach the end of stress. Excuse me. And so the Buddha is reassuring these novice monks and giving them great encouragement to just keep going. You're doing well. You're experiencing the, the benefits of Dhamma practice. Just keep going. They develop the cessation of suffering. Their minds are inclined towards awakening. Such are the monks in this community of monks. In this community of monks, there are monks who remain devoted to the development of the four frames of reference, the four foundations of mindfulness. The four, the four right exertions, the four bases of power, the five faculties, the five strengths, and the seven factors for awakening. Again, I'll get to those later. The, and the noble eightfold path. Such are the monks in this community of monks. Now remember, these monks are those that are rare in, this, in the world at that time, just like today. 
Um, let me, I'll go over the four, the four foundations of mindfulness, but we know what they are. We do it in meditation. Mindfulness of the breath and the body, mindful of feelings arising and passing away, mindful of thoughts arising and passing, passing away, and mindful of the present but impermanent quality of mind arising and passing away. The four right efforts are avoiding inappropriate thoughts, words, and deeds that have yet arisen, or right effort, abandoning inappropriate thoughts, words, and deeds that have arisen, developing appropriate thoughts, words, and deeds that have yet arisen, and maintaining appropriate thoughts, words, and deeds for continued development of non-confusing and, and skillful qualities that have arisen. It's a lot of words, but that is what's developed through integrating the Eightfold Path. And the four bases of power are a calm mind, or jhana, rooted in concentration, persistence, or right effort, the, the Pali word is kashanti, persistence rooted in concentration, Right intention rooted in that same concentration. Again, it takes a well-concentrated mind to integrate the other factors of the Eightfold Path. And wisdom rooted in concentration. The five faculties are conviction. Again, that just relates to right effort. Enthusiastic engagement. This is so important. We're not doing this out of a sense of duty or commitment or fixing something broken or because that, that crazy bald-headed guy in Pennsylvania tells me to do it. We're doing it because we understand that the real meaning of true reference. We found something that can deliver us from our own ignorance. We should be joyfully engaged. Rapture is a word I often use, and it's often the translated word in the, in the Dhamma. Joyful engagement with the Dhamma. Why shouldn't we be? In fact, I used to teach this way, and I stopped because it seemed a little too cute at times, but to put a smile on your face. When you're starting meditation, you should have a smile on your face while you're meditating. Rather than, and I see it sometimes in the rooms, is, is this kind of a grit, a grim determination to get through it. Enjoy your Dhamma practice. And if you're not, take a breath and start enjoying it. Uh, enthusiasm, engagement with the Dhamma, right mindfulness, concentration, and wisdom. Again, coming back to the same theme. Uh, I'm just skipping it. The seven factors of awakening. And again, we're going to get deeper into this later on. Those seven factors are mindfulness, refined mindfulness, penetrating investigation of the Dhamma, enthusiasm, meaning rapture or joyful engagement, calm, concentration, and equanimity. All developed directly through our practice, not something external and not through merit, not through prayer, not through visualization, directly through our Dhamma practice. And if we engage in authentic Dhamma practice, they just naturally develop. It's not something that we have to wish for or hope for or believe that we're going to be granted because we're, we're, we're following the right steps. You have these realizations. These occur to you. And the Noble Eightfold Path, right view, right understanding, right intention or right resolve, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right meditation or jhana meditation. In this community of monks, there are monks who remain devoted to the development of goodwill, compassion, uh, to concern and equanimity, devoted to that fourth foundation of mindfulness. They understand the relentless decay of the body and the impermanence of arising and passing away of all conditioned things. Such are the monks in this community of monks. Lot of comments. In this community of monks, there are monks who remain devoted to mindfulness of the in-breath and the out-breath, 
meaning devoted to jhana meditation. Mindfulness of jhana meditation, when appropriately developed, is of great benefit. Mindfulness of jhana meditation, when appropriately developed, supports the concentration necessary that brings the four foundations of mindfulness to their culmination. Again, we establish concentration and then we're able to apply it to our mindfulness, the things that now we're able to hold in mind. Friends, this is a direct path for the purification of all beings, for the cessation of sorrow and regret, for the disappearance of pain and distress, and for establishing the right method of practice, and for complete unbinding. In other words, these four foundations of mindfulness. Let me just check something. I'm going to stop there. Um, I could have gone further, but I want to break this up. Uh, give me a second. I'm just trying to get a bookmark on this page. Okay. Um, so you can see how, the, the, again, this sutta is an example of correct or skillful jhana practice. It's not instruction for jhana practice. The Buddha is covering um, all these different themes of the Dhamma, but reminding us that these are the results of jhana practice and integrating, using that jhana, using that concentration, for integrating the other seven factors of the Eightfold Path as our dhamma practice. So what I'd like to do is to talk about today how you feel you're integrating that Eightfold Path. And if it still seems something that's... Um, rather amorphous that you're still grasping after or do you feel like you're integrating it? So uh, I'll start with Jeff. Jeff, good to see you. I'm search for the unmute button here. I'm well, thank you. Good. Good to see everybody. Um, yeah, I, I feel good about my personal uh, development uh, integration. Um I, I I guess maybe one of the, the key indicators for me is enthusiasm. Um, it, it I take pleasure in it. Yeah, so um, important. Yeah, well, I think it's a measure of how well uh, your not just your progress, but your potential for future progress yeah. is. I think right. if you're struggling all the time in anything, doesn't matter what it is, it's difficult to want to apply it. Yep integrated so i guess i feel good about that um having said that i would consider it a milestone if i could remember <laughs> all the points in this particular suda it it covers a lot of ground yeah um yeah so that, that i guess that's what i can say about it yeah it, it, thank you jeff you that the um there is so much information. I mean, I I don't know how many suttas I've. I know I've I've restored about three hundred and eighty suttas. I probably read maybe five times that many. Uh, there's a tremendous amount of information, but the practice itself is very simple. And so, even something like this Anapanasati Sutta, I don't know that there's too many human beings alive that could remember it after hearing it once or twice or three times. But, it's, but practice is meant in this way. You'll hear it again. Um, I, I teach it on retreats often. We've had um, many retreats about just this sutta. I teach it like this in three or four parts, so it makes sense, some sense. 
And it's something that as Dharma practitioners, we know we're supposed to come back to it. You know, again, when you feel like you're struggling with your Dharma practice, come back to becoming-buddha.com and read it again or, or just print it out for yourself. Uh, it's in the books as well. Uh, but it, it, it's just that way, you know. And, and the other aspect of feeling good about your practice, that's why the Buddha would always um, encourage people like I do. I mean, I, I teach the way I teach because it's what I glean from the Buddha's teachings. Ehepasiko. Come and see for yourself right away. And I, I tell people, I tell newcomers, do that right away so that you'll feel the benefits of it immediately. And then you don't need me to nag you to keep practicing. You'll just do it because it, because it works, because it feels good. <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. Good morning. Uh, good afternoon. Good evening, Tom. Hey, John. Hi, everyone. Um, yeah, so how do I feel about my practice? Well, it, it's almost like um, I feel that my practice is, if you were to look at it in terms of a graph, it would be a bit like one of those stock market graphs, you know, where it is, it's like overall over a period of time it's going up but it has a lot of um, ups and downs along the way, you know? Um, And so, you know, right now I'm struggling a little bit more the last one to two weeks, uh, just because um, there's a lot of things professionally that are happening, you know, work and stuff that are happening are quite stressful. Um, Not only that, but it's, it's, I, I notice uh, you mentioned earlier, John, that I'm often moving around, which is, true or at least it has been the last few weeks and i think something that i really benefit from is routine Mm. um and as soon as i'm out of my regular routine of like i know i wake up i meditate and i study the dharma and then uh, i try to find a time to do it later on in the day now as much as i love sort of traveling around and um you know doing interesting things um it, it does break up my routine a little bit. So yeah. I think that's one of the things, you know, coming back to what we heard of about in the class on Saturday, you know, look at the life you're living. Yeah. I think it's one of the final chapters of the truth of happiness. And so I, 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 I definitely reflect on how the life I'm living affects the life that I choose to live because these are my decisions yeah. affect the quality of my mind. Uh, so I'm, you know, I'm trying to be, um, yeah, I'm trying to adapt. And I think, as I said, gradually, I think I am. Um, I, I'd like to like to definitely think that. But I, I, I definitely have moments where I feel I'm making loads of progress. And then other days when I feel like I'm not making anywhere near as much progress as I would like. But mm-hmm. but but I, I think um, to, to build on Jeff's point, um, enthusiasm is the most, that's my superpower when it comes to the Dharma because I'm very, very committed and enthusiastic about it. And I know it's the truth. I know it makes sense. And I'm, you know, so grateful to have these teachings. Um, I just have this mind, which is just, it's got so many, so many habits of, you know, if you look at the two, the, um, the, the lower fetters, the rituals doesn't really, doesn't really affect me anymore. Um, Uncertainty is not a big, a big issue. Uh, you know, relatively, I'm sure there are elements of it. Ill will, not very often, definitely not as much as before. It's yeah. the two that I struggle with are, I think, still self-referential views and um, and craving. Yeah. Uh, those are the two that, that are just, I'm plugging away, but they're so difficult to, 
to root 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 them out. And and sorry, just finally, because I'm I'm speaking quite a lot here, but um, it's I guess the thing that I struggle with a little bit, or to 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 really address those lower fetters, is just the fact that everyone in my life, apart from you on this call and someone like Alex, who I see regularly in real life, everyone else I interact with doesn't have any idea what we're doing here mm-hmm. and doesn't get it. And and so even very great people and wise people and, and, you know, in many other ways. So I find that difficult because it's so easy to get sort of forget the Dharma. Uh, you know, you ask people for advice or what should I do here? And you keep remembering that people you're speaking to are ignorant of four noble truths. So although they may give great advice according to other criteria, they're ignorant of four noble truths. And so I think I find that difficult, um, you know, especially here in the UK and there's, there's only myself, Alex, Matteo, but obviously Matteo's a long way away up in the Scotland and there aren't many of us. And, and uh, you know, this Sangha means everything. The online Sangha means everything, but then you, you step out of it and you go into the real world and um, you, you know, it's nobody else gets it. Um, and so, yeah, it's just just something. It's part of the journey. I'm not. It's not. I'm not losing enthusiasm over it. But it's just. Um, it just. Um, it it it. It's a struggle. It's a struggle, particularly with those yeah self referential views and, and craving. So there. So that's a slightly long winded way of you, me sharing how how I'm doing. Uh, <laughs> Not, um, in terms of my Dharma practice in relation to the Sutta. Not, not long-winded at all. Thank you, Tom. The, um, the, the, this Sutta is, is the, the, the proper view of being in the world. Remember, the Buddha said 2,600 years ago to, to an established Sangha, you folks are rare in the world. And that's still true today. It's, and that's just the way it is. By... Um, when I go out into the world, which is getting increasingly rarer, <laughs> um, I can't help but but feel sympathy for so many people. Um, and and it used to be distracting. I used to fall into the, the salvific, the, what can I do for these people? But I know what the only thing I can do is to maintain my quality of mind and be, I mean, it doesn't mean that if somebody's not willing to learn the Dhamma, I won't give them a buck if they need a buck. But what I'm saying is my my interaction with people based on the Dhamma um, is is itself rather rare. Most of the time, I'm just trying to maintain, or I'm, I think I'm doing a pretty good job lately, maintaining a present quality of mind when I am out in the world. I carry What I'm trying to say is I'm, I carry the refuge of the Dhamma with me, and I think you're all ex- doing the same thing. But when you do notice the world in that way, it's just that you're recognizing the, the manifestations of ignorance. You might think this is a uh, a strange statement, or maybe I shouldn't even feel this way, but I feel great sympathy for for Putin because I can't imagine living with a mind like that and doing the things that he's done and that he's going to have to come to grips with. Now, on the other hand, I was telling Jeff earlier, it's remarkable that in millions of years we haven't evolved past the need to kill each other, but. Uh, again, I can look at look at the the person involved and feel sympathy. I don't need to feel hatred because that just destroys me, doesn't it? And it never ever would lead to it. I mean, the reason why we're still killing each other is because of hatred. So 
hating the hated is not is not the answer. Maintaining a present quality of mind, I think, is the answer. Um, and and you're developing that, Tom. And, and it's just this way. One of the problems we have, and you mentioned it about um, self-referential views and craving, they're really connected together. And the other fetters that we mentioned are aspects of self-referential views and, and craving. So when you're letting go of those other fetters and you recognize them as falling away or having less of an influence in your life, what it means is that you're getting closer and closer to the root cause. So finally, that, that, that the final development of awakening is letting go of that last self-referential view that's rooted in craving. And how do you do that? You keep practicing the Dhamma because you've experienced it yourself, Tom, simply by integrating the entire Eightfold Path, you've been able to diminish to a huge extent a lot of the discontent in your own life. And you've done it. And give yourself a lot of credit for doing that. It's important. It's through your own efforts and a brilliant bold teacher that, you, that you've been... I'm just kidding. And because the Dhamma is still extant in the world, you've been able to do it. So again, thank you. Matteo, good to see you today. Hi, everybody. Um, what I can say, um, Anaparasati Sutta, it's a, probably is a sort of almost like a summary of all Buddhist teaching. You know, yeah. Like the seven factor awake, the five years, so it's very good. And when you say the introduction, and a lot in modern school, they like get confused or they just misinterpret it. It's like, you know, it's true because it's very long, but it's very simple as a sutra. But then the other school, they make it in a very difficult way. They seem like almost like the most important thing in the world, yep. but it's not. Uh, and about my practice, um, I, don't, I don't have problem for concentration, mindfulness. So what, what I do usually, it's uh, every change of the season. I don't know if it's a bad scientific method, but every change of the season, I just go through all the Eightfold Noble Path. Yeah. I, I know by heart now. I, I go through it and say, like, I really okay. sit there, I start to look, like, all my life, uh, my work, uh, my friendship, everything in my life. I say, like, I'm following, I'm abide today to Paul Bar or not. If it's not, what I can yeah. do better. That's every three months, basically, I do that. Yeah. And uh, even when I'm doubtful that I say, oh, maybe I should abandon these things, I shouldn't talk anymore to this friend, I just don't ask myself too much. I say, okay, abandon and see what's happening. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, again, Matteo, that's pure Dhamma practice, and I, I would bet you're reaping the benefits of it. You find that you are more calm and at peace within your own skin. And to me, that's everything. You know, I never understood really what I was after until I found it, but uh, I, even when I was a little kid and I was confused and angry and upset, I was, I was really an angry little kid. It, it caused some problems within my family. Um, but it was only because I was so confused and frustrated with my life. Uh, and now I'm not, you know, now I can, I, I can sit on the edge of a world that might be at, at, at war and may, I maintain a calm and peaceful mind. And I, I can't help. I was thinking about this last night. Um, I was, I was coming of age during the Vietnam war and I, I was terrified every day. I protested against it. I was aggravated and for many years, even afterwards, like most Americans, you know, we, were, we, we couldn't let it go. Um, I don't feel that today. I'm concerned. I'm worried. I'm sympathetic. 
but my mind is calm and at peace, and I, I think that's remarkable, and I also know where it came from, from, from this one man's dhamma and my engagement with it. And, you know, what else could anybody want in this world but this? So, Thank you, Mateo. My friend Alex. Hi, John. Hello. Hey, um, yeah, I think, uh, well, I enjoyed the Sutta, first of all, the, the part we read. It felt um, a lot lighter than usual. I don't know if it's me or the Sutta itself. It just felt very, you know, looking at the um, outcomes of this practice and the, the Buddha witnessing good practice and appraising yeah. practice, whereas sometimes these suttas can be very much about where he spots some someone going wrong and then yeah. um, we have to try and learn from that. So it was nice to... It was just felt like a lot lighter than yeah, usual. it is. Yeah, um, so that was nice. With my practice, <laughs> I think... In all honesty, I don't share the same enthusiasm as maybe like Jeff and Tom. I think I um, enthusiasm isn't. Yeah, I, I, I when talking about the Dharma, I'm I'm enthusiastic and I get it and I want it in my life. But when practicing it, I I find it difficult and I think that's ill will towards myself. I think I'm my. I think I have a resistance to practice because um, of because it's yeah it's ill will towards myself. I think I don't. It's just part of me that won't give it to myself. Um, so that's something I'm aware of, and I and the, you know I'm still here, and I keep going, and I know that's the main thing is to keep going. Um, but this week in particular, I've been a lot easier, gentler on myself. I've good, been, good, good, good. I had a bit of a breakthrough with work last week and someone said something to me and it made me realize how much pressure I put on myself to get everything right and perfect all the time. And um, I'm really trying to in, embrace the mess a bit and I've enjoyed that. And I think I've noticed I'm being a lot nicer to myself and I think that's, so that's been nice and really good so I think that's still my that's still my thing is going gentle that's it I need to keep a focus on um being kind to myself yeah um but yeah you know I think the thing with my practice is that I'm still going I don't as much as I have this resistance I just watch it and I keep going yeah it's funny yesterday I had a chat with my sister I'll end on this because it it is relevant it made me realize where my practice is and how far it's come. So she's my twin sister, same age as me, you know, same, very similar upbringing, obviously. Um, she was talking about a problem at work with her boss and she was so stressed and she's got so stressed that her skin has reacted and she's got this big thing on her, on her head and it's hard to see and I just want to help her. But she was talking in a way, she was taking things so personally Despite you know from this other person that's done something to her, and all I kept saying to her was, "Yeah, I was trying to say things like don't take it personally," and and I also said, "Do you meditate?" Because she she has meditated. I so say you meditate at the moment because I can see your mind um, getting caught up in stories about what yeah. this lady thinks of you and 
all the stuff you need to do and, and the future, all, when, when this presentation comes and how stressed you're getting about it. I just said, you know, just try and come back to the moment and then the next moment, you know, then just take it like that moment by moment. And it was very hard to get through to her. And I, you know, and then I remembered what you often say, which is the best thing I can do is my own practice. And, yeah. um, I have so much sympathy for her. And like you, like you said earlier, like you do with people in the, in the world, but we can't drag them. You can't drag the horse to water, right? You have yeah. to apply your own practice. So with that in mind, it's uh, that is a real motivation to, to practice for uh-huh. others, you know, for yourself, but, but, but for others as well. So, um, yeah, that's where I'm at. Yeah. You can, Alex, you can drag the horse to water. You just can't make it drink. That's it. That's it. All right. It, all right. <laughs> some of that, that, uh, the, resistance to developing the Dhamma is simply the resistance to change your mind. And because, because I've decided that something is what I want, what I need, or it's my reality, once I make that decision, I can't help cling to that decision. And so as I'm, as I'm coming up against those thoughts, there is resistance to changing our mind that can often feel like ill will. And all that it, all that it, that needs to be done is to recognize it as such. You mentioned being gentle with yourself. Take a breath and come back to your body, because they will fall away. The full frontal a, a, attack, meaning, well, where does this all come from, and why am I stuck in ill will, and I can't. All of that is to be abandoned and come back into the into the eightfold path, which always teaches us to be gentle with ourselves. So we learned again in this suit and many others when aversion comes up. However it manifests, we take a breath. We don't analyze it. We don't mess with it. We don't judge ourselves. We just do that one simple thing. And as you said, Alex, what you did with your sister proves, and it should prove to yourself, why I'm saying it, that you've developed the Dhamma to a, a, a very skillful level, a very high level. When you can see the Dhamma or see an application of the Dhamma that would be helpful for another human being, it's because you're able to see it in yourself. And that is remarkable. It should be acknowledged. So thank you for that. Um, and it's just such a, a good example of how we live in the world. You didn't preach to your sister. You didn't make, I'm sure you didn't tell her she was doing something wrong. You just said, you might want to try this. And that's how we, you know. Yeah. And if she tries it, then she might come back to you and say, wow, that really helped. Can you tell me more? And there's the opportunity to help someone else along with the Dhamma. But that's just this way, you know. And that's how the Buddha was. The Buddha never put up any billboards saying, I'm the, I'm the best teacher you got. And the competition for students was, was nothing like, I mean, it was worse than it is today with people making great claims about their lineage and that lineage and what they can do for you. The Buddha just walked gently through the world and people came to him and he taught him the Dhamma. And many of them, when they practice the way it is presented, awaken, just like this, this very important sutta teaches us. So... Um, we're going to continue this uh, over at least the next two weeks. Um, I think that's it. I think that's all I have. Do you have any other questions or comments about today's class? All right. We'll finish with Meta. Uh, I, I just say I did appreciate it being cut up. I thought I found it a lot easier to follow, and I'm looking forward to next week. Yeah, good. Good, good, good. Yeah, yeah I mean, you yeah, know. Same, same here. Yeah, well, I, I, I'm glad you're 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 saying that. But Alex is right. This is 
I don't like to say it's lighthearted, but it, it certainly is has a positive energy. But again, the Buddhists, you, you can still feel that energy from 2,600 years ago, can't you? The, the Buddha's excited because his, his students are excited, and the students are excited because their teachers are excited. They're all living within, within this wonderful refuge of the Dhamma. And I, I, I think you, you can feel, where it's almost like we are there. These, it, again, it's still, to me, it's the most fortunate thing in my life that the Dhamma's still here and I still have a mind, not that it's anything special, that can understand it and develop it. We, we all are so fortunate. So uh, we'll finish like we always do with, uh, with Metta. So again, take a moment to become mindful of your in-breath and your out-breath and let that mindfulness of your breath unite your mind and your body. And these are the Buddha's words from the Karaniya Metta Sutta. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied unburdened with duties, and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. May all beings be at ease, whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, admitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Excuse me. <coughs> Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, Having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you all for a great class. Peace. Thank you very much, John. See you, everyone. See you all soon. Bye, guys. John, might you have a minute? Oh, yes, I certainly do. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.